There are two fundamental questions in life. I know that's a big claim, but I'm going to go ahead and make it. Who is God, and what do I do about it? And another way that we might phrase this is, do I believe that God is who he reveals himself to be in the Bible, and what will I do about it? Before coming to faith in Christ, a person is primarily concerned with this first question, who is God? Do I believe the Bible? And then after we come to faith in Christ, the rest of our lives is spent in this toil of applying the word to our lives. And it is toil. It is not easy work. We wrestle with living in light of the gospel. After we come to a trusting knowledge of God's word, this toil will be with us the rest of our lives. There are seasons where I have felt like I was losing in this fight. Seasons where I have felt like I have done such a poor job of living in light of the gospel. And in these seasons, I have this prayer. God, help me fully integrate what I believe about you with how I live each day. Oh Lord, deepen my faith so that I will live out of a deep and abiding trust in you. And may this be our prayer today as we enter into this text. God, help us to be a church that lives out of a deep and abiding trust in you as we come to a more complete understanding of your glory and excellence. So, let us come to this text with this at heart. Peter wrote this letters, letter to believers in order to stir them up by way of reminder or to awaken them that Christ is coming back to redeem and to judge. At the same time, there were false teachers who were claiming that Christ was not coming back. And so Peter writes this pastoral letter to instruct the church away from this false teaching and to remind the church that Christ is coming and so we should live as people who believe in this truth. Peter reminds us of the importance of living in the reality of the gospel. Our passage offers a key for being effective and fruitful in our knowledge of Jesus. A full and complete knowledge of Christ is an effective knowledge. We are able to walk differently because of the gospel's work in our lives. Peter urges his readers to make an effort to establish their faith in Christ because the power of the gospel is found in Christ. So this exhortation for us today is this. Because the gospel is effective at transforming us, make every effort to supply your faith in Christ so that your knowledge of him will be fruitful. Again, because the gospel is effective at transforming us, make every effort to supply your faith in Christ so that your knowledge of him will be fruitful. So first, we see that the gospel is effective. Gospel is effective at transforming us. We see this starting in verse 3. 
God grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God, by his divine power, grants. Brothers and sisters, we begin this passage with a recognition of God's abundant grace. It is his power that grants. And we do nothing to earn what he grants. And yet he grants so graciously. He gives sufficiently both for life and for our sanctification. And yet because of the fall, our heart's tendency is to rebel and look for life in other places. So as we come to this text, may we ask ourselves, am I looking for life in other places? Am I looking for life in a place where life cannot be found? Am I looking for godliness in a place where godliness is not found? There is a lot of confusion today in our world about where to find life and godliness. The world would have you believe that life is found in freedom from all authority. This is the spirit of our age. Freedom to define yourselves. And yet, this is not what we are taught in Scripture for a very important reason. We do not define ourselves, but God defines us because God created us, and he knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But this doctrine of sin runs counter to our culture. Self-expression is the highest value in our culture, and so it's no wonder that it runs so counter. Church, we must be aware of this culture that we live in. We must be aware of this because we want to be people that are shaped not by the world, but by the word. And if we're to be people that are shaped by the word, we must recognize that true freedom is not found in freedom from authority, but in submission to God as our authority, to the true authority, the only authority that by submitting to it, we will be free. The apparent life that the world offers leads to death. The so-called freedom leads to becoming slaves of corruption, slaves of our own sin. But God does not leave us unable to escape. Life is found in the knowledge of him who calls us to his glory and excellence. And this godliness, what to say about this godliness? Is it reverence towards God? It is It can be translated as piety or the quality of being religious or reverent, but we know that God calls us to something more than religion. He does not call for changed actions, but a changed heart, and this is something that we cannot do apart from him. And so it is through the knowledge that we are transformed, through knowledge him who calls us to his glory and excellence. But this knowledge is not just knowledge of facts. It's knowledge of a person. It's knowledge of God. One translation uh, renders this uh, knowledge as true knowledge. This is knowing God as he is. What we will later see is that there is a type of knowledge that is ineffective, a knowledge of Christ that is not going to transform us. Accurately knowing God is a key part of this effective knowledge of Christ, and we accurately come to know God through his word. 
So brothers and sisters, as you will hear me say often, we must be people of the word. We also recognize that is is through knowledge of him who calls us to his glory and excellence. God is glorious and he is excellent and he calls us to his glory and excellence. Let us not take this for granted. This is, this is really a crazy thing, that God would call us to his glory and excellence, that we could share in it when we really ought not to in ourselves. And it is by his glory and excellence that he has granted us these precious and very great promises that we see in verse 4. Therefore, let us not boast in ourselves, but we boast in God. We boast in his glory and excellence when we consider the precious and very great promises that he gives. And may we rejoice in his glory and excellence when we come to the cross. As we continue in verse 4, we see that through the promises, we become partakers of the divine nature. What does this mean, to become partakers of the divine nature? This would be a moment where we could be thoroughly confused in our understanding of this scripture because this is not telling us, as some might first you know, come to believe, that we become little gods. That's not the divine nature that he's talking about. But what, what he's talking about is clear from the rest of the verse. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, And so this divine nature that we come to share in is a freedom from the corruption of the world that comes by sinful desire. We see in these two verses that the power and promise of the gospel works to free us. This is true freedom. So, The effective knowledge of Christ is a knowledge that sinks deeper than the surface and allows the gospel to have its full effects on our hearts. He has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness so that we would be sanctified, made new, able to share in his glory and excellence and able to become partakers of the divine nature. So we have been granted these things in order that we may become partakers. This is interesting because notice that we were granted in the past, but we are currently becoming. This is the story of the Christian. It is a story of continual sanctification. We don't reach the end now in this life. And one thing that I would caution us about, the the fullness of the sanctification is not realized on this side of eternity, But this does not lead us to an extreme of thinking that this is merely a doctrine that has no impact on our lives, that we can be content with not really seeing sanctification because we know we won't reach the end. That's not what we want. That is not the heart that we want. Sanctification is not merely a doctrine, but it is the reality in the life of the believer. The rest of the passage is predicated on this reality of sanctification. And it flows from these first two verses, the power and promise of the gospel. All of the instructions that Peter will give flow out of these verses. They flow out of the power and promise of the gospel. 
And so the power of the gospel is not only for our sins of the past, and it is not only for our future glory, but it is for the present, here and now. Many of us live with a gospel gap in which we recognize that we're forgiven of our past sins and we recognize that we will live in future glory with him, but there is a huge gap in the here and now of our lives. Peter is addressing this. Sorry, I lost my place in my notes. Since God has granted us these things, brothers and sisters, we are instructed to live in light of the gospel at work in our lives. So we come to the rest of the letter. I'm sorry, the rest of these verses, but it's a short letter. We won't get to all of it today. So now our second point is this. Make every effort to supply your faith in Christ. We'll look at this in two stages. First, we see that how we are instructed to supply our faith, and then we will see the result of supplying our faith in Christ. So verses 5 to 7 tell us how we are to supply our faith. They're central to Peter's instructions here. We're given this list of qualities that is built on a foundation of faith, and Peter will refer back to this list of qualities several times, so it's important to understand what he's saying here. So we must come to an understanding of what what verse 5 is saying. So we see, for this very reason, namely the power and promise of the gospel that we saw in 3 and 4, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And so Peter is saying, you who trust in Christ, make every effort to supplement your trust in Christ, supplement your faith with virtue. So, this word supplement is very important. How are we going to understand this word supplement? It's not saying supplement your faith with something else as if faith is insufficient. That's sometimes how we think of the word supplement. If we think of like a uh, protein supplement or a vitamin supplement, we'll take these if we are insufficient in protein or vitamins. But that's not what Peter's saying. He's not saying that virtue is a replacement for faith, nor is he saying that virtue will cover some part of your life that faith is not able to reach. That is not what Peter is saying. What what he is saying is to supply your faith with virtue. Add to or provide for your faith in this way. Peter is instructing readers to make every effort to fully establish our faith by supplying it with the qualities that follow. You might say that sounds like works. That doesn't necessarily sound like faith. We know from James that faith without works is dead. And I I will give this simple illustration that a youth pastor of mine once gave that has stuck with me for years. You see, I can believe that this stage is going to hold me up. I can believe that I can sit in it, but I'm not putting my faith in that stage right now. If you tell me, put you believe in that stage, sit in it. And I say, whoa, I believe in it, but I'm not going to sit in it. That's not faith. That's not the faith that 
that God calls us to, faith that God calls us to, is a faith that acts. And so when I sit down, this is putting faith in that stage to hold me up. That's the nature of our faith. So we note that sanctification does not just happen without our effort. Right? Peter instructs us, make every effort to supply for your faith. One commentator put it this way, one does not drift into greater measures of Christ-likeness. Intentional, spirit-empowered effort must be exerted. One of the greatest dangers that we face as believers, it's a great danger because it, it, it feels like a silent danger. We, we this danger is that we would become complacent in our faith because we rightly believe that we are completely dependent on God to sanctify us. So we might throw up our hands and say, God, sanctify me as you please without exerting any effort. Because of this true fact that our sanctification is completely dependent on God's work in us, we cannot... We should not, but we do often falsely believe that we have no part to play. Peter instructs us, make every effort. It is an effort. It is a toil. But notice what the effort is directed towards. This is very important. It's to supply your faith. It does not say, make every effort to earn the promises of the gospel does not say make every effort to be holy or righteous. Our effort is ultimately not directed towards behavior, but at a deeper root. We are instructed to supply our faith, make every effort to grow in your trust for the one who does sanctify us. This is the toil. This is the the thing that we strive for, that we make every effort towards coming to a greater trust in God. On the flip side, it doesn't mean that our conduct doesn't matter. Our conduct does matter. But it is to say that our conduct doesn't matter without faith. I want to be careful how far I go with that. But what I'm saying is that our conduct flows from our faith. So make every effort to establish and to live by faith. Your your good conduct will not save you. Only Christ will. And now now that we come to an understanding of verse 5, we look at this list of qualities. I'm going to look at them and, and just sort of define each word so that we have a little bit of a better grasp about what he's telling us. First, we see supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue here is the sum of all desirable qualities or characteristics. It's the same word in verse 3 that means excellence. So there we see that it's referring to God's excellence. And so we who are called to our excellent God are also called to live a life of excellence that is rooted in his excellence. Be holy, for I am holy. We are holy, for he is holy. It doesn't say that in the text. It's, that's a different text. But it's the same idea of 
our excellence is rooted in, it's based in, it's established, it's fully realized in his excellence. We see his excellence and we aim to be like him. And now we see the next, uh, the next thing that Peter says is virtue with knowledge. So this is not pursuit of knowledge for its own sake, but pursuit of knowledge with a purpose. That purpose is that it would deeper, more deeply establish our faith and our virtue, our faith and our acting in our faith. And then it says knowledge with self-control. This word means restraint of one's emotions or desires. The call to follow Christ is a call to die to ourselves and to live to him. And then we see self-control with steadfastness. This is the ability to endure in the face of difficulty or hardship. Steadfastness with godliness, that is devotion or reverence to God, and godliness with brotherly affection. This is a word that means love for a sibling. We hear brotherly affection and we immediately don't even think about siblings. But in the Greek, I mean, that's what it means. It's love for siblings. But what it means in this context is love for the body, love for the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. And then with, love, with brotherly affection, we see supplemented with love. This is a love in which mind, heart, and soul are fully seeking the best for another. Now, we could easily spend the rest of this sermon considering each of these qualities in more depth. In fact, we could spend the rest of our lifetime just considering these qualities. We're not going to do that now. We obviously don't have a lifetime. But I will leave you with this question. Where do you see these qualities in your life? Are these qualities yours and increasing? Once we leave here today, we would be well served to continue to consider these qualities, to meditate on them and make them ours. We would especially, we'll, we'll see just how fruitful it will be as we continue in this text the way to take hold of the power and promises of the gospel that we see in the first two verses is to establish your faith in Christ by supplying your faith. If you long to experience life-changing transformation of your heart, into a God worshiper, Aim everything towards establishing your faith in Christ. So now we see the reason why we are to make every effort to establish our faith in Christ. In verse 8, we see, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a knowledge of Jesus that is ineffective or unfruitful. You see that? That the flip side of this verse is that there is such a knowledge. 
It's that which leaves us unchanged as if the divine power has not granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So how many times have I gone through seasons where I have felt ineffective in my faith or my faith has felt ineffective in me? And in these seasons, my question, my prayer, as I began is, Lord, how do I become fruitful? And Peter gives us insight into how we become fruitful in the knowledge of Christ. And and so this idea of firmly planting ourselves in Christ is not just seen here in this text, but it was also seen in our scripture reading today. As Jesus taught in John 15, he is the vine and we are the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. So the challenge when we feel we are in a season of unfruitfulness is to remain in Christ. In fact, this is the challenge in every season of our lives as believers. It is to remain in Christ. Remain connected to the vine and trust that it is his power in us that transforms us, presents us with a sobering picture. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If we lack these qualities, we are blind to the gospel. We are blind to the divine power that he has. We would be blind that we may become partakers of the divine nature. A person who lacks these qualities is blind to all of this. He's blind to all of this because he has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Brothers and sisters, let us not forget that we were cleansed from our former sins. This must keep us from any self-exalting pride. But we recognize, but for the grace of God, we would continue in our sin. Effective knowledge of of Christ recognizes the weight of God's glory and his excellence and sees that in our human selves, we have no part in this glory. Nothing in us can bring us there. Effective knowledge of Christ sees that it is by Christ alone that we are cleansed and that we have a share in his glory and excellence and that we may become partakers of the divine nature. If you're here today and you realize that you lack these qualities, my hope is that you would have eyes to see the wonderful power of the gospel. I hope that you would see that in Christ we are cleansed from our former sins. Before we can make these efforts to supply our faith in Christ, we must have faith in Christ. So if you recognize that before we make this effort to add virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love into our lives, we must ask ourselves, where's our faith? What are you trusting in? If it is not in Christ, then this list of qualities will not do anything for you. It will be just an ornament. 
But if your faith is in Christ, if you are trusting in his great power and promises, then supply your faith with these qualities and they will keep you from being ineffective in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful word for those who at times have felt ineffective. The next two verses give us assurance that if we would make these qualities ours, what, what that would do for us. We, we find assurance here. All of these qualities that Peter lists, they're all about getting the gospel to plant deeper in our hearts so that out of our hearts we would live fruitful, God-glorifying, Christ-honoring, faithful lives. And so Peter says he will never stop reminding them of these qualities, even though they are rooted and established in them. This is one reason why we gather together week by week. It's to constantly be reminded of the gospel and reminded of the implications of the gospel in our lives. To be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds as we are reminded of the gospel. Peter says, I think it right as long as I am in the body to stir you up by way of reminder. This word to stir up means to awaken someone who is sleeping. Maybe you came in this morning with faith that was asleep. Maybe you have felt for a long time that your knowledge of Christ has been unfruitful and ineffective. Or maybe you were swinging back and forth on the fence of faith and you were one gust of wind away from being tipped over. Wherever you stand today, there is an invitation to wake up to the precious and very great promises of God. Brothers and sisters, make every effort to supply your faith in Christ. Practically speaking, this means to look to God and to trust, to direct your whole life towards trusting in his promises and trusting the promise keeper. Trust in his promises because you trust the promise keeper. And to get even more practical, what does this mean as we walk away? How do I apply this to my life? It comes through knowing him. Make every effort to come to know him. Make every effort to steep your heart to, to meditate on him and let your hearts be saturated in the word of God so that it would have its transforming effect in you as you look past the words and look past the promises and see the promise maker. See the one who speaks these words. This section concludes with Peter saying, I will make every effort so that after my departure... That is, after his death, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And so Peter makes every effort to remind the readers of this letter, that, to, 
to be firmly planted in the gospel? Would we be a church that would make every effort to supply our faith in Christ and trust fully in the one who has called us to his glory and excellence? Let's pray. Lord God, we are reliant on you. We are reliant on your transforming work in our hearts, Lord, and we know that it is your power that is at work in us, Lord, that will transform us, that will transform this world. Lord, we, may we be a people that seeks to love and honor you and to know you more. Make us knowledgeable for the sake of your glory and your kingdom, Lord, that you would shine brightly in us, Lord, that others would see our good works and give praise to you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.